Welcome to Mad About AV, your industry-leading source for insights about all things AV and interactive systems. At Mad Systems, we take pride in delivering cutting-edge exhibits and interactives that evolve alongside your industry and leave a lasting impact. And this podcast will let us bring you along for the ride. It's time to show you why we're Mad About AV. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Mad About AV, a Mad Systems podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. And thanks so much for joining us on another conversation here with Mad Systems. As you're listening along, make sure that you're subscribing on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and heading to our website, madsystems.com, for more information on all the solutions and services that we talk about today, but also to get some more Mad Systems content like podcasts, videos, blogs, and more. So on today's episode of the podcast, we're peeking behind the curtain of one of our most cutting-edge offerings, and that would be Quicksilver. As the desire for engaging one-of-a-kind in-person experiences has become more commonplace from end users, the way that technology, especially AV, supports that personalized experience has come into focus. And at Mad Systems, meeting this demand has manifested in our Quicksilver solution, which at a surface level is a facial and color recognition-powered AV system for individual and crowd personalization. So with our episode today, we're sitting down with some of the creators of Quicksilver, including one of the parties critical in the R&D and execution of Quicksilver, to better understand how the system was put together to meet today's AV needs. So pulling from his background as a multi-talented professional in AV, I'm pleased to welcome Sergey Kozlovsky. He's an engineer with Mad Systems. He's been with the team for 16 years and was one of the main developers for the Quicksilver solution. And for some insights on the vision for Quicksilver in the broader AV industry, we're also going to be re-welcoming Trisha Rodriguez, CEO and Overseer of Marketing Initiatives for Mad Systems. Sergey, we'll start with you. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing fine, thank you. Hello, everybody. It's a pleasure getting to chat with you today, and I'm really looking forward to unpacking your unique background in the space, uh, as well as your uh, technical direction behind crafting Quicksilver. So, yeah, again, looking forward to that. And Trisha, great to be chatting again. How are you doing? I'm great. Thank you. Thank you for being with us, Daniel. Of course. Of course. So, uh, Trisha, before we jump in with some questions for Sergey, uh, what are you most excited about highlighting with today's conversation? Well, I just am so excited to talk about Quicksilver and our patents, um, making sure that everybody understands um, how it works and how they can use it and the benefits the end user gets. It's it's a really, really um, neat direction and cool direction for everyone to start considering. Um, personalizing everyone's experience, I would imagine, should be top priority, uh, making sure that the visitors um, are getting exactly what they want and need out of their visit. So I'm excited to make sure everybody knows what we have to offer and um, new technologies that are coming forward. So that's what I'm excited about. Fantastic. Well, let's go ahead and get right to it then. I want to start by recapping Quicksilver as a solution, just so our audience can fully understand its functionality and use cases before we get into some of the specifics of crafting Quicksilver. So, Sergey or Trisha, can y'all give us some basic overviews on how Quicksilver functions and what the core mission of the solution is? Quicksilver is an architecture, basically a uh, number of uh, devices 
that interconnected with each other to create a some kind of solution. They could be different combinations, so they can address a variety of different AV challenges. And uh, such devices would be video players, audio players. We have some digital I.O. interfaces that can connect buttons and different sensors to the video player and audio player. We have RFID readers, cameras, and many other devices that we can integrate together to address a specific need. The important part of the Quicksilver infrastructure is the use of Wi-Fi. We always um, thought that we need to address places. For example, if system goes into a already established place like an older museum, and they might not have infrastructure in place to run cables from one place to another to an equipment or maybe they don't even have it. So Wi-Fi would be really important here because it's it can wirelessly establish connection between different Quicksilver components and between individual exhibits and between the exhibits and the um, show control system, which is also at this point part of the Quicksilver solution that we offer. The other thing is many people are concerned about is that Wi-Fi, you know, it breaks the connection. Sometimes devices lose connections. Sometimes there's no enough coverage. And all these concerns come and basically primarily from ex the people's experience at their homes when they use a, um, a consumer-based uh, Wi-Fi solution, which is not really designed to be very robust with any kind of a redundancies in place. We obviously do not use this kind of solution. Our Wi-Fi solution is based on a scalable Wi-Fi, industrial Wi-Fi solution. It's not even called Wi-Fi. It's, it's more called WLAN at this point. Basically, this would be a number of access points connected to a device which coordinates their activity. And if one, for some reason, goes offline, then controller would boost the signal on the other access point to reestablish that coverage. On top of that, if our, let's say, audio video player disconnects from Wi-Fi for some reason, we have a bits of software running in the background checking for the Wi-Fi connectivity. And if, it, if it's gone for any, any reason, then it tries to reconnect it immediately. So even if it loses connection, it'll be for a brief moment and it will be uh, back online. And in a number of installations where we have implemented this already shows that it is successful and reliable solution. Excellent. Always a big question I get when I'm talking to others about the system. Yeah, I mean, we have started uh, at some point back before Quicksilver times we We've used just regular consumer-based Wi-Fi points, and we did have a problem. We even had that in our office back when we used that technology, and that's where most of the concerns coming from. But mm -hmm. if you look at the technologies that have been used in, in hospitals, so 
universities, you'll see that it's always there. It never goes away and it's extremely reliable. And that's what we, the kind of products that we use at this point for that. So, Sergey, which industries or more specific applications, in your opinion, get the most out of the Quicksilver solution and why? And how has Quicksilver impacted some of their uh, broader experience goals? Well, uh, Quicksilver obviously would be the most um, desirable product in any location where there is limited possibility for infrastructure. It would be a place where there is uh, multiple different locations where the people would interact with the AV technology. Such places would be obviously museums, visitor centers, um, even shopping malls. Obviously, the other direction that Quicksilver is is going uh, at this point is with facial recognition and license plate recognition systems. So those systems would be needed where there is a, uh, a need to associate a certain visitor with the AV experience. I also believe that, you know, historical sites, uh, which is kind of what survey was leaning towards, they have an infrastructure issue. And adding additional infrastructure is usually a problem because of um, trying to maintain the historic value of the location and not taking um, anything from what's currently existing. So by using Wi-Fi system, everything magically looks clean and you don't have cables or wiring going anywhere because you're not allowed to pull cables and wires at a lot of these locations. But the other side of things that um, is great to um, think about, uh, Daniel, is the full infrastructure overall, this cost savings of not having, you know, um, AV rooms and cooling issues and pulling cable everywhere because this is a wireless system and running on Wi-Fi. Um, so really every venue can take advantage of this. There are certain venues that cannot because of uh, safety precautions and other things like that. But when it comes to media um, delivery and uh, sound um, and your basic activations, uh, Quicksilver is an excellent solution. Yes, it, it is absolutely true because even even in a place where you have ability to add the infrastructure for cabling, it's still, if you don't have to do it, then you save costs on this initial infrastructure and you can redirect this cost and the content and just have a much better experience for the same budget, basically. It is suitable anywhere, really, because it is just a, a more economic and cost-effective way of doing it, of integrating Navy. So, Sergey, obviously one of the main reasons why we've got you on the podcast today is because your work and vision has been critical in developing Quicksilver and MAD systems in general. And we're very interested in learning more about some of the technical decisions that influenced your work, as well as 
industry background just to get into the brain of the creator a bit. So let's start with hearing a bit about your background in the AV industry. Can you give us the basic summary of your timeline in the industry and some of the key positions and projects that you've held and worked on? Yes. Uh, well, my uh, AV background starts with, with college, actually. When I came to this country uh, from, from Russia in 1994, I went to a college in New York and I went to electrical major, uh, which I didn't like. And I started looking and I came across the entertainment technology department, which kind of was cool and interesting. And so I started basically not from actual working on AV, but I started with studying the AV and entertainment technologies. And that's kind of different. Usually people start with, with something, then they learn about it. I kind of started from academic direction. During my time in college, just in the beginning, um, I got, got so involved in the different technical aspects that I end up end up working with one of our professors as his assistant in sound design. Uh, immediately then, I was thinking about using the computers to solve some of the challenges with the audio distribution and audio deliveries. And that's when I start writing some software and poking around and see what I can do. After I graduated from, from school in the year 2000, I started in a company in New York as system engineer. And somehow, immediately, I got recognized for some of this uh, desire to work with computers and merge computers and AV. Even then, immediately, I started working on the software solutions that would help to solve different challenges, some of which would be just to coordinate multiple PowerPoint presentations so they synchronously flip slides and doing things like that. I, I had to write a little software bits that would pull information from tickets and database so it can be displayed on the AV display. And the computers back then were not really good performers to deliver the media, but they were helpful to be able to translate one a device to another so they can be on the same page, so to speak. And uh, this is where I started. And then as computers start more, more and more powerful, um, then we start working on playing back sound. So I've written a software that would play sound and based on the time within that soundtrack, it would trigger different cues for lighting system. And um, that's what we call as a object theater. Object theater, basically something that where you have a soundtrack that triggers sound effects and highlights certain objects. So you ha can have a story and highlights objects one by one as the story progresses. And obviously there's no nothing that can do this. So go, I'm going back to the computer to make something. 
and this is where the some of the first grains of the quicksilver come from 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 these experiences. Later, a few years ago, we were in a, in a project in Michigan, and I was replacing absolute piece of equipment that was discontinued for probably a decade at that point, and I needed to um, and I was thinking you know that would be cool to uh, to make a player that could be just plugged in instead of that and then you can kind of a uh, uh, mock copy the pro- control protocols so it would seamlessly integrate into uh, the system and uh, I started tinkering because it needed to be small and cheap. So I started tinkering with the, some of the uh, low-cost, uh, low-performance computers and uh, was able to make a, a video player. And then when Maris and Mark saw that, they like, oh, we can do this and this. And that was basically the first dis- device in the Quicksilver family which is then we build upon it really quickly and added the facial recognition to it, connected with the other peripherals. And the, instead of simple player, it became a player that could be interactive player. It could be a simple player, but it could be also interactive when the, and when the user would have to push a button or break some kind of a motion sensor interact with a touch screen or just to appear with his face so her face in front of the camera associated with the player uh, that sparked different ideas including the one that to license plate recognition which uh, later we patented as technology for AV industry. Sergey, it's so funny listening to you talk about all these things, living with an engineer and uh, knowing how your guys's, or at least his mind works in the R&D. It seems um, that you get these ideas into your head. Does it happen to you day and night? Is there a specific time that ideas normally come to you or does it just kind of like pop in your head at any time of the, the day or night? Well, uh, the, the specific idea about the video player came because of the need that I was looking at it and thinking, okay, we're kind of trying to cobble something together here and would be better. But uh, lots of ideas, funny you said that, uh, in fact, come to, to me and I'm sure to all of us, Mark and Maris, uh, I'm talking about at least. And uh, it would be at a random time. Sometimes you just watch TV that has nothing <laughs> to do with any AV. Like, for instance, I could be watching some Russian criminal serial uh, serial on the YouTube, and then all of a sudden I'm thinking, oh, you know what, I need to try this. And I, you know, I turn all this off, go <laughs> to the computer, start searching, oh, there it is, you know, find some kind of a touch sensor or whatever, and buy it right there, thanks to Prime, you know, I can get it next day here where I live. And uh, it, yeah, it's it's completely random. It's not necessarily driven by specific need. You just see it there and it pops in your mind and and then you go with it. And to be honest, sometimes 
this some of these ideas are complete garbage and <laughs> you play there after you spend like a day or two and fiddling with it and you go talk to Mark or Maris and they like what is this and <laughs> and it's like yeah, and the, the same goes the other way and there's a bunch of things Mark came up that I was like are you kidding me or that going even you know it, yeah it goes back and forth but my point is is that it's interesting listening to you um talk about being an engineer in the industry um and mad being an av integrator as you can hear it's not easy to find these kind of guys who are so incredibly talented on in r&d and that's really what makes mad systems different daniel in the in the overall scope of our of our company is that these guys are unique they think of solutions on the fly um, at any random time of of their their life really during working hours and off hours they're always working and they have to stop what they're doing and they go down and write it out even if it's you know workable or not they they're constantly trying to develop something and and, and it's in their right. blood it's what they do yeah and that's that's fair to say because as long as i remember myself i always would would wander off to something you know i would always been into like a things like something that that I can that is a device of some sort it doesn't need to be electronic it could be anything I know yeah. that I, I've taken apart multiple alarm clocks and when I yeah. was like five years old and it, there was a reason for it because I wanted to make something else I'll put it in a little toy car or whatever you know yeah, and and all of you guys have that in similar in similar aspects. You all took things apart as children, and I can really just uh, say any parent out there listening. And if your child is destroying toasters, um, they are going to be brilliant. Let them explore as much as they can, because this is what you end up with: really talented people. Um, into the industry or you're you're raising a talented individual although i tell you that i i, I got uh, my electric shock is probably in around three years old i don't even remember <laughs> it's just my my mother told me you know I, I was i was standing on a refrigerator because in soviet union they actually to make it safer they didn't have a plugs or anything. They just put those outlets high. So mm -hmm. I was on top of the refrigerator, stuffing something in the plug, and then I <laughs> fell down and I'm like, oh, it's bit me, you know, and thing like that. And it just was ridiculous. But uh, that's great. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's some danger, but usually it's. Uh, it, it, you know, it can be dealt with. So just keep it safe, parents. Don't <laughs> let them Love get it. too dangerous. <laughs> you know. or don't let them take apart lawnmowers. <laughs> like alarm clocks, toasters that are not plugged in are fine. All right, Sergey, I want to uh, 
just get a little more specific on some previous experience with R&D that you have on new technologies, because I know that a lot of this was pivotal for um, influencing your work on Quicksilver. So there are a few that stood out to me in your background. Um, the work you did for Sotheby's, the work you did for BP Alaska's Energy Center, and the work that you did for Prada. Whichever one of those three that you'd be most excited to talk about, can you share some of that key R&D work as well as some of the key takeaways that you learned from that project that influenced your approach to Quicksilver? Yeah, well, uh, the uh, Prada, I had just written a little bit of uh, software, I think, for it. So I did not, uh, I don't want to get in that, but although it was really technically challenging pro project for our team as a whole, I mean, at, at team at that time. But the BP Alaska is definitely something that probably put some seeds of quicksilver in me because that was a uh, small, very small system. I think it had like two kiosks and a mini theater, like one projection. But it had it. It needed to be coordinated several pieces. For example, it's not just a projection that showed movie in a loop. It had to also stream a meaningful messages at the right time on that LED reader board, like a ticker. And those, um, the LED board was, I think, was like uh, maybe 100, nearly 100 feet long. I don't remember now. That would, the first 10 feet would be in the building. And then after that, it would continue through the window while well, it would interrupt, but continue after the win uh, behind the window and just go in the woods behind the building. And uh, representing the pipeline that BP is uh, known for building in Alaska. And uh, just to achieve this particular uh, thing, we had, as computers were not powerful enough to play video, we had a video player it was ad tech or something. It, it, they don't. I don't think they exist now. But it was a uh, box that would play composite video, and uh, it was synchronized. It was synchronized with a computer, and computer would then trigger light shows and uh, output those messages into the sticker board. And this is certainly was one of the things that are not regular AV, like uh, border or much, some kind of digital signage. It was a story that would also represent physical aspect of the what, what is described in the story. So it was delivering this multifaceted kind of content to the person that was watching. And this was certainly was something that is um, a quicksilver would be appropriate to use and, and, and what we use now for similar applications. Now, if we take all of this background, both your approach to AV, your timeline in the industry and some of these more specific uh, projects that you've done in recent memory, and we package it all up 
and look at the development of Quicksilver, how do you see all of these dots connecting? Um, how do you see your background in the space and uh, some of the work that you've done previously sort of setting the stage for why Mad Systems wanted to develop a solution like Quicksilver? Well, I was not organizer. Like Quicksilver, as I mentioned before, it's like infrastructure, it's like collection and integrated kind of a solution or pieces for integrated solution. This was all put together by Maris and Mark. I was not part of that particular as a making a package out of it. All my life, I was, well, all my AV life, I was just writing random pieces like a video player here, audio player there, LED ticker operation, something in this place. And it was all just bits and pieces that could be used on a random time uh, as I was. Uh, uh, living the AV engineer life, it basically created a certain base. And not only me, because Mark, Mark was doing the same things, and he had collection of pieces that uh, were just kind of uh, there. Maris had some ideas as well, and he used to make uh, equipment himself. He used to make the control system and the audio playback device so all of that we we had kind of boiling and then at one point we're like hey you know what we need to kind of organize this harness this to throw some things out add some things in normalize it and create something that could be offered as a solution library for for different AV challenges in the specific AV directions that MAD Systems is in, which is interactive connection between AV and the user or visitor. And uh, that that's, I think that's how all that, what I've done in, in previous life, how all that accumulated some kind of a, a collection of pieces that then they just needed to be combined in the organized solution. And again, not only me, but Mark had as well many of those, like all the face recognition, that's all his. Sure. And uh, uh, Maris had the big uh, drive behind how the audio playback or Quicksilver audio um, soundscape device works, this randomized soundscape and stuff. Uh, this is all based on his audio. It wasn't based on his audio uh, piece that he used to make back in uh, 10, 20 years ago, but it was more of a, it was doing the same thing plus a lot more. Daniel, in a nutshell to your question, a lot of actually the whole team at Mad Systems had sat down and and we've been watching these guys make solutions for 20 years now. And we've come up with multiple different solutions. But we really sat down and 
made a wish list of what we wished an AV system would or could or should do. What do we do? What does a client need? What would make things easier? How to, how to connect things? What would be a dreams AV technology platform? And we all put our little pieces in and really Quicksilver came from that. It, basically a dream AV system that anybody could only wish to have. And um, it just continues to get developed because these guys just get better and better ideas as technology gets better and better. And really, I think that that is the easiest way to describe how Quicksilver came upon. Don't you, Sergey? Yeah, the solution basically was there. It was not just organized in this manner, proposed to the public as a Say like, look, here, here we can we can do whatever you want now. Now, one of the impacts of uh, the Quicksilver solution is the reduced infrastructure of the system, since uh, Wi-Fi obviously doesn't require running cable. So, when developing Quicksilver, was this a key functionality of your team's design vision? And if so, how did some of your previous R and D work motivate said decision? Well, it uh, came out of necessity to some degree because this uh, first, as I as I said, it, it's kind of a start uh, started to develop into this Quicksilver um, architecture from the video player, which was built on this tiny computer chip and uh, from Amazon, and uh, it didn't have network port. It was basically like a rock, a rock, a rock with stick. And uh, all it had is Wi-Fi as a connectivity. So and for us to use it, we needed that to be on a Wi-Fi network. Yeah, then we put that on Wi-Fi network and it was not reliable. It would disappear, reappear. It was, it was just not doing well. Then to spend a lot of time to come up with some kind of a solution or find the solution out on the market, which would make it reliable to write some additional bits of software that would make it so persistently trying to reconnect if it, if it lost the connection. And then, then once we figured this out and it became something solid, we're like, hey, this can save like millions or at least tens of thousands to any project where they have to run this pipe to just run the networking in. So it wasn't initially goal, but once it became uh, solid, it's like, hey, you know, that's a great feature that we have to really focus on. I want to learn a little bit more about your approach to working together as a team when putting these solutions together. Uh, so could you give us some insights there? When working on a Mad Systems project, how does the Mad Systems team work together on R&D? And who are the key developers? And uh, what is that dynamic like? How do they function within the team? As a, as a team, we uh, don't, don't contribute to each other actively. So it's not like a, a total collaboration, like it's not like 
going with me, an audio player, and now all three of us sitting and doing something with it. It's usually would be uh, because we have different backgrounds, like uh, the way how I perceive the system and what I see is important is not the same as what Mark sees it. And some of his things are taking the direction that I wouldn't have gone to. And so is Maris. So we uh, we a little bit different. We're not, you, you know how they say, in, uh, you know, for a perfect marriage, you need to have like the people that have a lot in, in common. And then there's another belief that to make perfect marriage, you need somebody who is absolutely polar opposite. Well, our... Our thing is, in a cre- in the, in fact, the way how we engineers come up with the ideas, well, we are the same. But as far as how we perceive different problems is totally different. So our collaboration is, is more of a born from debate, if you want, and not from some kind of agreement. So when we work, or would come up with the idea, propose that to the other members. The other members would say, oh, well, it needs to be like this, not like that, and then this and not this. And that's how we can quickly determine and cover all the different aspects of the of the requirements. Because, uh, you know, when you see it from one point, then you can miss a couple other uh, things that are applicable to the same situation. But in, in this case, it ended up naturally kind of a being that when we add to each other as opposed to kind of working together. I don't know if it makes sense. No, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I... I always love hearing how different organizations approach their teamwork because it's always a little different, but the motivating end goal is always the same, right? Create a dynamic that lets everyone shine to the best of their abilities. And, you know, it's always interesting to hear how Mad Systems approaches that. Yes. So taking that into account, why are these distinctions and this take on collaborative development important to Quicksilver's success specifically? Well, obviously, because on my own, I would have never thought of that, like, a facial recognition would, you know, I wouldn't even think that that, that is needed. I, I, mean, I wouldn't have even kind of uh, thought of that as a, as a principle. However, Mark is... Kind of, that's on the forefront of his thinking that this would be the best thing ever. And uh, then Maris came up with this license plate thing, which Mark wouldn't have think, even less myself. And that's how we can kind of, as you see the growth going, I am um, put something together that reacts to a button. Mark said, no, let's do it RFID reader or camera. And Maris said, let's put that camera outside and figure out who the guy is before he even gets into the building. And that's it. kind of an escalation of the ideas in a way that uh, 
uh, our dynamic brains. All right. We're close to wrapping up the conversation here. Thanks uh, to both of y'all for your insights so far. I want to highlight a few quick things before we close. So I know Mad Systems has some exciting news around the corner, which is a new patent that should open up some more possibilities for the Quicksilver system. And the patent is for recognition-based media delivery. So, Sergey, can you explain how securing this patent allows for additional features that could provide some more possibilities for Quicksilver technology? Yes, uh, th- this patent is, I-, I believe it was granted actually to us. Yes, it was. Yeah, we just received the certificate. So the new patent, Daniel, is a facial and license plate recognition media delivery. Um, it works with any existing system along with working with Quicksilver. So it's not just limited to Quicksilver. It allows all levels of needs when it comes to recognition and personal delivery uh, to multiple different locations of all sorts. So anyone who needs to or is requiring a personal um, recognition system to deliver any sort of media or information, um, it would fall under that patent. The really cool thing is, is that we can install that on existing equipment. And if they do not have existing equipment, it gives us an opportunity to use Quicksilver and get the system Quicksilver out there and uh, recognized into really cool locations. Because Quicksilver is a new system, it needs more installations so that it is something that becomes more natural for everybody to ask for. Right now, they're not asking for it because it's not really known. It hasn't had enough time to become popular. Once it does, then it will be better. And um, it will be a natural way to move forward in the AV industry. But back to the patent, the really cool thing is, is that it can go into existing equipment systems as they stand. Yes. Quicksilver and recognition technology have been delivered hand in hand. So there is a huge advantage of using Quicksilver to, to combine the face recognition and the AV. This is in itself brings more opportunities to the Quicksilver philosophy. In turn, this will expose our company to desires of the client and integrators. Uh, knowing these needs and requirements, we can further expand on fun- functionality and by doing that, add to the desirability of Quicksilver and some of the advanced technology that will work with it seamlessly. Also, um, say, if someone wants to use the license plate integration, and by the virtue of patent, it is about the application. And at this point, there is a dialogue during which some other aspect of the Quicksilver can be discussed and possibly utilized by the same integrator. The types of projects we talk about tend to have technical challenges and the challenges uh, what drive the innovation. 
And finally, last question for y'all, but, you know, it's hard to talk about the vision for cutting edge AV technology today without adding the uh, larger COVID context that has reshaped a lot of in-person experiences. So since the hit of COVID and now that we are um, approaching hopefully an end date with the vaccine being administered, how have Quicksilver's use cases and applications shifted? And how do you see uh, in-person experiences being shaped by COVID moving forward? And where does Quicksilver fit into that? Immediately when this COVID became a problem, and uh, we immediately started looking into some what we call touchless technology. So when, when people do not touch a monitor to inter- interact with it. So one of the things we came up with was use of camera where you can move your head a little bit. And by doing that, you can select options from the a monitor. So instead of it used to be a touch screen, or it could be touch screen as well as something that you can operate basically by by just uh, gesture, so by moving your head a little bit. Uh, That's one thing. Then the other thing we looked at where you can um, interact with certain things, not by touching them, that what you usually used to do, like, for example, buttons, when you push physical buttons. Instead of that, you would just place your head above a uh, sensor that would sense your hand from a small distance, and therefore you don't actually have to physically interact with anything. So you could maintain your distance and uh, still achieve that uh, interactivity with the with, with, with the AV content. And that does it for our conversation today. Thank you so much to both of our guests for joining us and giving us all of this great insight on the development of Quicksilver, its applications, and peeking into how it was developed in the first place, under what conditions, and uh, why the industry is in need of a solution like Quicksilver. So again, we've been chatting with our two guests, Sergey Kozlovsky, an engineer with Mad Systems for over 16 years and one of the main developers of the Quicksilver solution, as well as Trisha Rodriguez, CEO and overseer of marketing initiatives for Mad Systems. Sergey, Trisha, thanks to both of you for your time today on the podcast. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you. Thank you, everyone, for joining us today. And Sergey, thank you so much for joining me on my podcast. I really appreciate your time and your insight. And it's been really fun doing this with you. Thank you. Thank you, too. And thank you to everyone for listening to another episode of Mad About AV, a Mad Systems podcast. If you like what you heard and want to listen to previous episodes, make sure that you're going to our website, madsystems.com, and subscribing to Mad About AV on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. Till next time.